Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Let us turn together to Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 3 as we read the verses 1 to 13. Hear God's word. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things' sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. This ends the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, several weeks ago we commemorated the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead. It goes without saying that the resurrection of Christ is the greatest event in human history. By means of this single event, our Lord and Savior merited unimaginable blessings for his people. What are these blessings? Well, one of the Reformed Confessions, the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 17, contains an answer to that exact question. There we confess that the resurrection of Christ benefits believers in three ways. First, by his resurrection, Christ has declared victory over sin and death and Satan. Second, he has also raised us up to newness of life. And third, he has guaranteed our own glorious resurrection. Now, these are wonderful benefits indeed, and we should be thankful to God for each and every one of them. But the resurrection of Christ not only conveys great benefits, it also involves a great responsibility. And that's expressed very clearly in our text, Colossians 3, verse 1. There Paul writes, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. So here the Apostle Paul teaches that believers have been raised with Christ. And because they have been raised with Christ, they are duty-bound to seek the things that are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. 
In other words, seeking the things above is the necessary consequence of having been raised with Christ. And so we see then that there is a direct connection between the resurrection of Christ and the sanctification of the believer. We could say that the resurrection of Christ is the ground or the basis of the resurrection life of the believer. Well, with that thought in mind and God's help, let's reflect on the words of our text under this theme, living the risen life. And we'll see that this verse, in this verse, Paul provides a helpful reminder. He asserts a holy responsibility and he points us to a heavenly resource. Our text begins with a helpful reminder. Paul writes, If you then be risen with Christ. Now, that word then is an important word. It's a transition word. And as such, it connects this verse, Colossians 3 verse 1, to a verse that comes before it. Specifically, we find it in chapter 2 verse 12. And there in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says that the Colossians were buried with Christ in baptism. He goes on to say, Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. So here Paul says that the Colossians were buried with Christ and raised with him to newness of life. Well, now in chapter 3, verse 1, he comes back to that thought, and he writes, if you then be raised with Christ. Well, the word if here does not indicate uncertainty. It's not as though Paul is questioning whether the Colossians have indeed been risen with Christ, because in chapter 2, verse 12, he clearly stated that they were risen with Christ. And so for that reason, many translations translate this word as since. Since then, you have been risen with Christ. The point is, Paul is reminding the Colossians, and by extension, all believers, of something very important, something that they need to understand, that they have been raised with Christ. Now, this is not the only time Paul says, something like this. He does so in several other of his writings. For example, in Galatians 2 verse 20, he writes this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice what Paul says here. First, he says that he died or was crucified with Christ, and then he says he lived. Now, the fact that he lived after he was crucified implies that he was risen with Christ. Or we can think of Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Well, Here again, Paul says we are buried with Christ and raised up to newness of life. And finally, we can think of Ephesians 2, verses 5 and 6. There Paul writes, Even when we were dead in sins, God has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, 
and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice again, God has raised us up together with Christ. When Christ arose, believers rose with him. Now, someone might say, well, how can that possibly be? After all, it was Christ who died and rose again, not me. I wasn't there. And yet here he says that believers died and rose with Christ. How do we explain this? Well, to understand this, we need to understand that when a sinner believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes spiritually united to him. He becomes part of his body. He is the head and believers are parts of his body. We call that the doctrine of union with Christ. According to this doctrine, when the believer believes on Christ, he becomes part of him in such a way that whatever Christ does for the redemption of his people, his people did in him. So when Christ died, his people died with him. When Christ was buried, his people were buried with him. When Christ rose from the dead, his people rose with him. And when Christ ascended into heaven, his people ascended with him. Now, not physically, of course, but spiritually. Whatever Christ did in order to accomplish our redemption, we did with him and in him. And so it is here in our text. When Christ rose from the dead, we rose with him. Now you notice that this is not something that we did in and of our own strength. The verb that Paul uses here is in the passive voice, meaning the action of the verb is not carried out by the subject, but rather upon the subject. And so the Colossians did not raise themselves up with Christ. That is impossible. Rather, they were raised up with Christ, specifically by God himself. Now, that only makes sense, doesn't it? By nature, we neither could nor would be raised with Christ. But what we are not able to do, God did for us. He raised us up with Christ to newness of life. Well, child of God today, do you realize this fundamental fact? Do you realize that you too are raised with Christ? That when Christ rose from the dead, you rose with him to newness of life. Now, we don't often think about that. We tend to think of the resurrection of Christ as something that involved only Christ. But there's much more to it than that. Christ also rose for his people and with his people. Now, that shouldn't surprise us, because whatever the Lord Jesus does, he does for his people. He suffered for them, he died for them, he is coming again for them, and he was raised for them. In fact, when he rose, they rose with him. So, if you're a believer in Christ today, you have been raised with Christ. Now, that has tremendous practical implications, and we turn to that under our second point. Having reminded the Colossians that they have been risen with Christ, Paul goes on to exhort them to seek the things which are above. He says, If ye have been risen with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now, in the Greek, the word order is reversed for the sake of emphasis. So literally what Paul is saying is this, The things which are above, seek. Now, there's a close connection between these two statements. We saw earlier that being risen with Christ is the ground 
the basis or the foundation of the exhortation to seek the things that are above. And that's very typical of Paul's literary style. Quite often the Apostle Paul will present what we call an indicative followed by an imperative. In other words, first he will make a statement and then he will follow up that statement with a command. So first he will describe our position in Christ and then he will go on to explain how we ought to live in light of that reality. We see the same thing here in our text. The statement is this, you have been risen with Christ and the command is, seek therefore the things that are above. And so we see that seeking the things that are above is the necessary consequence of being raised with Christ. So we could translate it like this. Because you have been risen with Christ, it is necessary for you to seek the things that are above. Now the word seek here means to obtain or pursue. We could even say to strive for. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 verse 33. When he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. We are to seek for the things that are above in the same way that we should seek the kingdom of God. Now, the verb here is in the imperative mood, and that means it's a command. And it's also in the present tense, meaning it describes an ongoing action. And so we could translate, keep on seeking. So Paul here exhorts the Colossians, and again, by extension, all believers, to keep on seeking, to keep on pursuing after, to keep on striving for the things that are above. It's as though Paul is saying, this must be our number one priority. This is the thing for which we should be striving for with all of our might. We should be seeking the things that are Above. Now, what are those things? Well, they're the things that pertain to godliness, to our sanctification. And Paul enumerates some of these things in verses 12 to 15. And there he writes, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, or we could say tenderness, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, or we could say love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful." So Paul here, in these verses, lists seven godly virtues. Tenderness, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. All of which are perfectly exemplified by Christ himself. And these are the things, he says, that we are called to continually to be seeking after and continually striving to obtain. Do you notice what Paul says here? He says that these things are the things that are above. They're called the things that are above because it's from above, that is, from heaven, 
from the dwelling place of God that such virtues are manifested and from which such virtues proceed. Godliness is not a quality of this earth. That's why Paul doesn't say the things that are below. The earth is the source of ungodliness. If we want to know what true godliness is, we have to look above. We have to look to God, to heaven. And Paul knows that. And therefore, he directs our attention upwards. He commands us to seek the things that are above. Now, the fact that we're commanded to do this implies that this is also not something that we do by nature. And that is very true. By nature, we don't seek the things that are above. We seek the things that are below. People, in their natural state, love this world and everything in it. They love its values, its priorities, and especially its material possessions. They love everything about this world. Their mind is fixed totally upon this world. And that's precisely the problem with the world today. The world today is seeking the things that are below. The problem is that the things that are below will not and cannot bring lasting satisfaction. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And frankly, the believer is not immune from that either. Although the believer is dead to sin and dead to this world from time to time, he finds that this world still has a strong attraction for him. At times, he even falls prey to the world and to his own sinful lusts. Just think of David and Bathsheba. David was a man after God's own heart. But when he saw Bathsheba, he lusted after her. He took her and had relations with her. The believer is not immune from the influence of the world either. And Paul understood this. And that's why he exhorts us to seek the things that are above. Now Paul says something very similar in verse 2. He says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And that phrase, set your affection, is derived from a Greek word meaning to think about or to ponder or to yearn for. The verb is also in the present tense, implying, as we said earlier, continuous actions. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying, keep on thinking about, keep on pondering or yearning for the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. The point is, the believer's whole disposition should be oriented towards heaven, where Christ is, just as the needle of a compass always points north. Now, in commanding us to seek the things that are above, Paul is not obviously advocating some form of mysticism. He's not saying abandon all interest in earthly things. He's simply exhorting the Colossians to be constantly preoccupied with heaven. Or, as one commentator puts it, to be constantly preoccupied with the one who reigns there and his purposes, his plans, his provisions and his power, and to view the things, people, and events of this world through his eyes and with an eternal perspective. My friend, does that describe you today? Are you a heavenly-minded person? Are you one who is constantly seeking, pursuing after, striving for the things that are above rather than the things that are below. 
You know, this is what defines a Christian. A Christian is not someone who goes to church every Sunday and reads his Bible and prays and tries to live a godly life. Of course, a Christian does all of these things as well, but a Christian does more than this. A Christian is someone who seeks the things that are above. A Christian is someone who is striving by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him to be tender and kind and humble and meek and patient and forgiving and loving. A Christian is someone who makes God's priorities his priorities and God's values his values. In short, a Christian is someone who is striving to be like Christ. And so I ask you again, does that describe you today? Well, to be sure, we cannot do this in and of ourselves And the apostle knows this. And that's why he ends his exhortation by pointing us to a heavenly resource. So we turn to that under our third and final point. Yes, the apostle knows how difficult it is for us to keep on seeking the things that are above. And so what does he do? He directs our attention to the only one who can help us, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen again to what he writes. Seek the things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, Paul here is alluding to several passages of Scripture from both the Old and New Testaments, which speak of Christ being seated at the right hand of God. We can think, for example, of Psalm 110. And there, King David, speaking prophetically about the Lord Jesus, says this, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Or we can think of Luke 22, verse 69, where Jesus told the religious leaders at his trial, Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. In Acts 2, verse 33, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter told the crowd that the Jesus whom they had crucified had been exalted to the right hand of God. And in Acts 7, verse 55, Luke records that Stephen, at his trial, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And I could cite many other verses. The point is, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus, after he ascended into heaven, was seated at the right hand of God. Now, what is the right hand of God? Well, in the first place, we can say that the right hand of God is a place of great honor. In ancient times, when a king wanted to bestow an honor on someone, he would seat him at his right hand. And that's exactly what the father did for the son. When Jesus completed his atoning work and he ascended back into heaven, he was seated at the father's right hand as a sign of honor. But the right hand of God is also a place of of power. And that's reinforced by the fact that Jesus is said to be seated at the right hand of God. Being seated is a sign of power, a sign of authority. And this is the aspect that Paul is emphasizing here. The fact that Christ is seated at the right hand of God means he has all power in heaven and on earth, and that nothing is impossible for him. Yes, he is able to accomplish his purposes also in his people 
no matter what. And what a great comfort that is for the struggling believer. In this verse, the apostle commands us to keep on seeking the things that are above, to keep on setting our affection on things that are above, not on the things on the earth. And we've seen that that is very difficult. The old man is still so strong. He's constantly trying to redirect our focus. He's constantly trying to make us seek the things that are on the earth. <clears throat> and Paul knows this. He understands this struggle. So what does he do? He directs our attention upwards again to Christ. It's as though he's saying, I know this is difficult. I know this is not easy. But don't be discouraged. You have a tremendous resource in Christ <clears throat> who has suffered, who has died, who has risen from the dead, and who is seated at the right hand of the Father to whom all power and authority is given in heaven and on earth. And he is able to help you. He is able to redirect your focus away from the things of this earth <coughs> to the things that are above and to make you live for him and to his glory. How does he do that? He does that by the power of his Holy Spirit who descends to take up his abode in our hearts. Yes, as a reward for his atoning work, Christ sends forth his Holy Spirit, enabling the believer not only to seek the things that are above, but to live his entire life to the glory and praise of God. Dear friends, what a comfort that is. We're reminded here that we don't have to fight the fight of faith alone. Christ is with us. He can help us, and through him we can and shall achieve the victory. Or do you believe that today? The only way we can keep the command of our text, the only way that we can live the risen life, is if our faith is focused wholly and completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so let me ask you as I close, is your faith focused on him? Child of God, are you looking to him as your exalted and risen king to help you in the fight of faith? Are you drawing from his power as you seek to grow in grace and godliness. Don't look to yourself. If you look to yourself, you will surely fail. But if you look to Christ, you shall succeed. Oh, look to him then. Cleave unto him and live the risen life to his glory. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by the message you have heard today or have a comment on it, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. And Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard once again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us, and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.com. Dot org. That's www.
www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Again, our webpage address is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.